episode 182 above ground podcast grace with judy miriam disclaimer the hosts of this podcast will foley and tpp are not medical professionals and this is not medical advice both will and tpp have first-hand experience with mental illness they have their own perspective and own thoughts on mental health challenges above ground podcast was birthed to help those who struggle with their mental health through honest dialogue By speaking openly and sharing tools, they foster connection. By fostering connection, they convey hope. With connection and hope, we can continue to increase awareness. These conversations aim to break down the walls while building stronger foundations for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Coming at you live with real conversations about mental health from the perspective, it's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now your hosts, TPP and Will Foley. Hey, what is up everyone? Welcome to episode 182 of Above Ground Podcast. Grace with Judy Miriam coming up momentarily. Just wanted to say happy holidays to everyone. We are into December and it is that holiday rush time and it is very important to keep tabs on your mental health every day of the year, but especially going into the holidays, as the holidays can be very stressful just from having to be everywhere or feel like you have to be everywhere, feel like you have to do everything, feel like you have to buy everything. Don't forget to take care of yourself. You can't get from an empty cup. So make sure you take care of your mental health as well as your physical, spiritual, and emotional health. A really good way to fill up your cup is to give back because no child should go without Christmas. And there are no shortages of toy drops, but I wanted to tell you about the Sages Circle toy drop that is going on until December 10th. That's right, the Sages Circle at Point Plaza at 443 Saratoga Road in Glenville. Such a cool place uh, with crystals, different um, meditation supplies, positive things. It is such an amazing energy in that room and in that and in that building. They are doing a toy drive to benefit Toys for Tots up until December 10th. You can go into the store and drop a new unwrapped toy, and you're going to feel really good about it. And don't forget, Sunday, December 18th at Empire Live is the next upstate punk rock flea market. That's right. Come on out. Do some Christmas shopping with some really cool stuff, man. See Above Ground Podcast. And uh, wish us a Merry Christmas. And maybe Krampus will be there too. So now episode 182 of Above Ground Podcast, Grace with Judy Miriam. Hey, what is up everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast? Because you can't serve below. No, you cannot. Mr. TPP, what's up my friend? How are you, man? I'm doing. Doing? (laughs) How how are you? Well, so by the time this comes out, we're a couple weeks removed from Thanksgiving. But since it is actually Thanksgiving weekend, how was your how was your uh, weekend, man? It was your birthday too recently, so you know yeah. you've had a little bit of stuff going on. So how was everything? A lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, it's this time of year is kind of dread it. It brings anxiety, but it is what it is. Uh, I think I've gained a little bit more resilience through the through some of this just because uh, I don't know being a little bit more aware and being more open to sitting with uncomfortable feelings and emotions and everything that flows with it. I just kind of uh, embrace it, I guess. It is what it is, right? 
Right. It is, man. It is. You got to embrace it. It's time to ride the wave. You know what I mean? Learn how exactly. to serve. Learn how to serve. Learn how to serve. Get the body moving a little bit. You know. Um, <laughs> you know who? You know who can? You can. You know who can help us um, learn how to serve? Who's is that? Is, is today's guest? Awesome. Yeah. Let's get into that right now. Ju- Judy, welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Judy is a singer, author, mom, wife, uh, speaker, many other things. But today she's here to talk about her son, Jensen. And uh, this is a topic that we do address on occasion. We are just grateful that Judy is open and willing to talk about these things because the more we do talk about them, the more light is shed on them, you know, can possibly help somebody out along the way. And we've always thought that. So we try to have these open discussions with willing participants like Judy. So thank you for being here, Judy. Thank you, Tim. And thank you, Will, for having yes. me. I am honored to be here. Yes. Thank you, Judy, very much for taking time out of your out of your busy weekend to be here with us. Uh, can you give us an overview of where your book, Empty Shoes by the Door, stems from and, and how you've... Tell us about your loss, please. Sure, Will. Well, I have my middle child, Jensen, who took his life December 23rd of 2011. So we're going on 11 years now. And as I worked through my grief and talked to people, Several people just kept saying, why don't you write a book? Why don't you write a book? And I started writing things down that I was learning along the way or questioning or whatever that seemed important. And I just kept a list of three by five cards for years and years and years. And about five years ago, I actually started writing because I could not find a book when after Jensen died. I'm, I'm a huge reader and I went on the internet and I just looked for books and books and books. And so many books were either written by dads or written by men, or written by mothers who said, oh, my son took his life, but Jesus is good, and now everything's wonderful. I thought, yeah, you know, I don't feel that way, so your book is not helpful to me. So I wanted to write something completely truthful and honest about the entire journey. And then the pandemic hit, and that was a gift to me to just have the time to write and write and write and write. And so that's what I did. And that was the whole idea behind my book, to share my story truthfully, honestly, and what I did, and to help other people who want to help someone grieve, know what to say, what to do, what not to say, all those things that those of us who've lost someone hate to hear. And now my book came out May, last May, May of 2022. Congratulations on that, on the release of that. That's amazing. That's awesome. Thank you very much for coming on and sharing this with us. Can we start in your grief process now? After you've been through all of this and you've had the book come out, what has your grief process turned into and does it? what does it look like now compared to what it may have been the last several years while you were excavating all of these things to write about? I, <clears throat> excuse me, Well, I think my grief process was a really active one. I thought if I don't originally, if I don't grieve in a healthy, active way, then it's going to be a second death. And, and it can't be because too many people need me. I have a husband, I have two other children. And so I really went into the darkness. I sat with the, the darkness. I, I dove in knowing that unless I did, there was no way to, to work through the grief. So then my first draft of my book was absolutely everything. I wrote down absolutely everything I could, could think of. And that was for me. And I worked with Marion Roach Smith, who is a 
memoir coach and I worked with her, sent her my first draft. She made pages and pages of notes, which is exactly what I wanted her to do. But I felt like after my first draft, Will, that I had actually said everything that I needed to say. And there was a tremendous amount of healing in that because I told every detail. But then that was for me. It, it wasn't acceptable for everyone else. So I then had to come up with a second draft for everyone else. So I left a lot of things out. I, I worked really hard to not so much focus on death, but, but help people work through grief. And when my book finally came out, it was like a huge burden was lifted because I had shared it. I had done the work. I'll never be totally healed. We're never totally healed after any any kind of death like that. But because I did the work, the functional healing, my ability to live from day to day has been transformed. And I am so greatly appreciative of that. I love how you describe that you've done the work. And Tim and I have talked about this, and I'm sure that you're familiar with Byron Katie, of course. I, I talk about her list of emotions that she keeps on her website, the work. And I actually include it in show notes all the time because I think it's one of the most useful tools that I've ever had because Tim and I always talk about language and how we describe things and how we attach our feelings to things. And writing things down is one of those important ways to really discover things and to let go of things. Were you a writer? Obviously, you're a singer, so you obviously have writing in somewhere in there, whether it's songwriting or or whether it's poems or lyrics or whatever. So obviously you write in some degree. Was the writing a discovery for you as a way to let things go? Because it seems like it took you a little bit to get to that point of whether you wanted to write or not. Well, I'm not a songwriter, but I am a, a huge wordsmith and I love words and I love lyrics and and often it's melodies and lyrics that catch my attention. And if I can't understand words in a song, then forget it. I just don't even want to listen to it. But I started a journal after Jensen died. And I put a picture of Jensen in the front of it. And I wrote, Jensen, my love, my loss, my healing. And I just wrote things down. I wrote quotes. I wrote particular scripture verses. I wrote scripture verses that I thought people really misinterpreted and threw at people who were grieving that should be interpreted a different way. I wrote down song lyrics. I wrote how I was feeling. I wrote everything down. So when I went back to eventually write the book, I used my journal a lot, but I've kind of always written on and off, mostly just short essay things like that. I've never taken much writing or many writing courses or anything, but I started taking some free memoir classes probably about four years after Jensen died. So at least a good year be a good year before I really started putting things down on paper to, to into cohesive thoughts. I find it interesting that some of your words about like the writing and, and journaling, that's how I started, I guess, my book. And I never had an idea of writing a book. It was all it was all just journaling because it helped me. I exactly like your process. Like I would just write stuff down and if I would, I call it connecting the dots. So if I found something, you know, over here that was bothering me, I would try and connect the dots to figure out where it's coming from, you know? So I would write down little things and be like, maybe this is this and maybe that, you know, little pieces here and there. And, and just, and like you said, it was, it was part of 
part of healing. It was part of the work, as you say, you know. So it's cool to hear you say that stuff and just see how it worked out for you. And I think, Tim, I've told other parents who've lost children, I've suggested maybe they journal. Part of, too, with the journaling is I didn't want to forget things. I didn't want to forget how much it hurt. I didn't want to forget when I was so dark that I thought that I couldn't climb out of that hole. I wanted to remember those so that could be useful to other people. You know, we use the term, oh, you're better now. And better is not a word to use. I wanted to remember what it felt like so that when I reached out to other moms, especially who lost a child to suicide, I could remember how it felt. And if I didn't write it down, I might not have remembered. So journaling was huge for that too. Exactly. I agree. You know, we've, again, we've talked about this stuff numerous times and I was like, we should come up with some kind of uh, suicide etiquette sort of, so to speak, you know, with like your help with these words and, and how to address things and how other people, you know, it's hard obviously to not offend somebody along the way, but we try to do our best and incorporate certain words that may be a little bit lighter on people. And that's why I did at the end of my book, the something to think about section, so that to give other people some instruction on what to say, what not to say, what not to ask, how to encourage all those things. You had just mentioned about you wanted to remember the darkness and, and the hole that you were in. How were you able to kind of navigate maybe a balance and not get stuck in that hole yourself? That's a good question, Tim. I think part of it is personality. I, I'm i not a, a dark personality. I'm not a I'm realistic. Occasionally, my husband accuses me of being cynical. And I, I say it's not being cynical, it's being realistic. So my grief journey was a bit easier compared to people who might deal with depression or darkness, which is not part of my story. But I also, you know, people have asked me, how did I know what to do? And, and I just have to attribute it to grace. I love the word grace, and that God's grace somehow showed me what I needed to do. Because there wasn't a lot of instruction out there. And I just knew that I didn't want to feel that way forever. But like you said, I wanted to remember how you felt. Yeah, that, I, that's, thank you for sharing that. That's um, I, absolutely, it's just a tough, it's a different perspective that we just got, you know, because here you are talking about probably one of the worst things that any of a uh, parent can go through, you know, talking about how you're, you know, the, the depression side of it. And I don't know, I'm just speaking for myself. I feel like I would fall into that dark, dark side. I'm more of a dark person anyways, but I feel like I, it would be an easy slide into that dark space and not be able to get out. And I think it is. And I, I have some friends who are there. One of the books I read by a mother whose daughter took her life in the same manner my Jensen did. She, this mother, when I read her memoir, I thought, oh my gosh, this woman, I don't know if she's going to make it. And two years later, she took her life too. And and that's the thing about grief. It's, it's, it's such a singular journey. It's such an individual journey. And we want to lump everybody together and say, you need to do this and then, then it'll be okay. But we can't do that because it's so individual. And I also think, I told myself I was going to speak the truth right, right from the beginning. That if I was really miserable, I was going to tell people I was miserable because I know people that try to pretend it, they feel better than they do. And, and that's not healthy. And I think speaking the truth and telling someone or even myself how I really felt allowed me to then move forward into something different. When we pretend it's something it's not, 
we can't heal. Yeah, I think you you said it, I mean, before with kind of what we say here is, you, you know, you have to feel it to heal it. And you, you wanted to sit in it and, you know, almost get comfortable. And I, I'm a firm believer that is the way to do it. And, you know, so it's cool to, to speak with you and hear that you, you did it and you're doing it. So that's, that's great. It's not easy. No. And boy, that darkness can be all consuming and you can think you're never going to get out. But as a, a gentleman, I wrote about him in my book, Jerry Sitzer, he lost his wife, mother, and daughter in one car accident. And he said, we can't get to the light if we do not move through the darkness. If we do not head towards the sun, the rising of the sun, then we can't get to the light. So we have to go through the darkness. If we constantly want to run away from the darkness, we're never going to see that that sunlight again. I refer to that to that spot a lot. It's interesting how you chose to describe sitting in the darkness and how we describe it because Tim and I have had numerous conversations about that room at the end of the hall in my house that I have that's very inviting, that has great lights and great music. And then when I get in, the door shuts, the lights flip off and the switch moves and you can't find it. That's kind of what I like in my depression too. And I I find that your description of, of how people journey through grief is very poignant because it, it is an individual journey. Do you think that you said you will never heal? And I, I obviously you can never heal fully from something like this. Has your grief process has changed? I, I wanted to know if anger ever played a part in your grief process. And and I'm sure it probably has, but some people have a harder time with anger and, and things. So I just wondered how anger has played into your grief process. Anger had a huge role in my grief process, Will. It was, I was angry at, well, at first, not so much because, you know, um, shock carries us for quite a while. And shock is such a gift. And I'm grateful for that because it allows us to function at first, when we don't know how to function, but the shock eventually wears off. And mine wore off around the fifth fifth month, maybe after Jensen died. And I was angry at Jensen. I was angry at other people for the stupid things they say. I was angry, really angry at God. I told God I hated him. And I was angry at, at just about everything. But I also realized that was part of it. I needed to be angry because if I didn't acknowledge my anger again, I wasn't going to move forward. I wasn't going to deal with it. It was just going to fester. So that was part of the honesty of just yelling at God and, and yelling at Jensen and yelling at people, not to their face, but behind their backs. You know, people don't appreciate it when you yell at their face. So yeah, anger was a huge part of it. But it also didn't last all that long once I admitted it and allowed it to take its course and run its course. Then I was able to move forward in the anger and finally figure out a way to to deal with the anger too. Well, speaking of things that people say that they shouldn't and things, we're all about tips, tools, and stuff here. So I was wondering if maybe we could start with a couple of things not to say to someone and then maybe you can come back on the other side of it and come up with another couple of things that you can say or what you should do or what you think some etiquette is better for. Well, I think part of that is an individual thing too, Will. Some people don't mind things other people do, but some of the things that people say like, oh, he's in a better place and 
especially in the in the church, we love to share verses like Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good and meaning that God's going to, you know, God did this for a reason. That's one of the ones I can't stand too, that, that there's a reason for this. If there's a plan for it, we're not God. We don't know that. We, to say that to somebody makes God sound like a monster and he's not. Or to, you know, I have a friend whose son just took his life in March and somebody from her church said, are you afraid he's in hell? And things like that, that people just, why would you even think that was acceptable to say to somebody? Or the, it, it's those platitudes. I had somebody say to me, well, you know, only the good die young. And uh, nobody, nobody purposes to be mean or say stupid things. Nobody thinks, oh, I'm going to go hurt Judy now and say blah, blah, blah. But they don't think and they don't realize the carnage, especially of a suicide death. That's the, the really hard part. So in my book, I, I encourage people, first of all, don't, don't use words like still. Oh, are you still missing your son? Yeah, I'm going to miss my son till I die. You know, Tim said the holidays are hard. It's been 11 years and I, I still don't like the holidays because it, it's a reminder that there's an empty place at the table. It's, it's always there. So I encourage people not to use still. Don't share Bible verses. You know, people know their own Bible verses they want to go to. Don't think that you have to make it spiritual and, and share something out of the Bible. If somebody asks you, okay, but there were times when that one Bible verse, Romans 8, 28, was shared with me so many times, I thought the next person that says this, I'm going to punch them right in the face, which sounds a lot like Jesus, right? <laughs> so I just, you know, in the platitudes, forget the platitudes. Don't use the platitudes. Just simply say, I am so sorry your child died. I am so sorry that your mom died. My heart aches for you. Those kinds of things show that you care, but you don't take it to the next level where I really think people say those those platitudes, those, those uncomfortable things, because they're trying to make sense in their own head. But we can't make sense out of something senseless, so it's better to just say, I'm so sorry, or I don't even know what to say. So please forgive me for not saying anything other than I'm sorry. Yeah, that that's well said. Well said. Very well said. You had mentioned, I'm only on chapter three. I'm so early in the book, but you had just said something just now that made me think of the, your struggle with in, in the beginning with, with motive and, you know, the whole why's and what's and that kind of thing. It just, I don't know. I don't know. It just something you just said sparked it in me. Do you still question? Do you ask yourself that question still to this day? I actually don't anymore, Tim. Occasionally, I'll I'll just say, "Oh, Jensen, why'd you do this?" But I, that constant searching, that constant playback in my head of Jensen, what were you thinking? Why did you do this? It's sort of ended. I think while I was writing my book too. I don't think I we're we're never going to know really unless somebody comes up and says, this is why Jensen took his life. Even though he left a note, it wasn't, it didn't explain anything. It just said it was his time to go and it was nobody's fault. But because I'm not asking that anymore, when I'm, when I talk to my new moms, especially who've just 
lost a child to suicide and they're so obsessing over why, I don't tell them to stop it because I know they need to. I know they might need to do that for many, many years, especially for people who don't leave a note. But that has helped me to realize eventually when I thought, oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm not constantly asking why anymore. I'm not looking for things. I'm not obsessing over this. It helps me to encourage moms that there may well come a day when you don't continue to ask why, but it's really okay that you are because you need to do that right now. Yeah. Like you said, it go, I think it all goes back to that, you know, individualized singular journey type, you know, let people kind of grieve the, the way they grieve. Yeah. We all think that we, we should have seen something or we should have done something to stop it, or we should have known, or we should have, we should have asked a question. And, you know, again, in hindsight, we can maybe pinpoint something, but nothing in particular for some of us. So, but we assume it's our fault. We assume we miss something. So that's, I think, why we obsess even more because we want, we want to let ourselves have some peace about the fact that we really maybe didn't miss anything at all. Can you share with us some of um, Jensen's, you know, favorite things, things that he loved to do? Jensen was an, anim- an, an animator, an illustrator. He loved doing cartoons. He just, he was so funny. He was hysterical. That was his gift, causing everyone to laugh. So he loved drawing, excellent artist. He loved writing, filmmaking. He wanted to go into film and animation. That was his goal. And He used to have all his friends be in his movies and they'd be at our house running around like idiots and eating my food and making noise and, or he'd be at my husband's office and then my husband would say, don't trash the office and, you know, things like that. So he was, he was so creative that way. And he had hoped to work for Pixar someday. And that was one of his goals. So the creative side of Jensen, definitely not a sports person, not an outdoors person, but artistic side was definitely his strength. Has Do you have anything of his that has been released? Did he, was he fortunate enough to release stuff before he, he won a couple. He won a couple of um, spots on commercials. Like he did commercials for a couple of commercial contacts that we, or um, contests that we have those. He entered a couple of his films, his animated films in contests, and he won for those. So we have those. Nothing that was out public everywhere. But every now and then something just pops up in, you know, how things pop up occasionally on on the web. And it's like, oh, my gosh, that's Jensen's. I, I think maybe one of his friends might have shared it or something like that. It sounds like it would be an interesting narrative to weave your story through his art. That's that's why I asked. Now there's an idea for another book. Thank you, Will. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's just like because with him being a visual artist, that's kind. Of, I, did he was he depressed? Did he have a mental health diagnosis? Was there what was what was Jensen's background? And he didn't, Will, and and that's the hardest thing that there wasn't any mental health diagnosis. We didn't see depression. Now, back in, you know, in hindsight, would we have, I still don't think we would have, but my husband and I have talked that, you know, people don't take their life unless there's something wrong. So 
there must have been something there. He was one who didn't want to grow up. He always said he didn't want to be an adult. He he liked, you know, he still had his favorite stuffed animal at age 18. He he was very sensitive and very kind and thoughtful and loving. But to say, to pinpoint, did we take him in for a diagnosis because we saw something? We didn't. And even his doctor, after Jensen took his life, his doctor came to our memorial, Jensen's memorial service. And the month after Jensen died, when I was in the doctor's office for my daughter's annual physical, Jensen's doctor called me in his office and said, I have gone through everything I have written about Jensen, everything. And I never saw anything. There was never any cause for me to be concerned. And, you know, Jensen's one of those 10% that they say in suicide awareness that showed no signs of anything. So even if we went back, I, we probably would have talked about suicide more. I didn't really talk about it with my kids because it didn't ever cross my mind that any of them were going to take their life. But no, he was not in the mental health system that's always a conundrum to know what to do, especially for teens like Jensen who showed nothing. That's wow. That's, that's really hard. Do you have, if you're okay with sharing this, do you have any of that in your family at all that you know of? I don't, on my side of the family, we're, yeah, we have some issues, but not any depression. I, I think on my husband's side of the family, we look back now and we say, yeah, we think there are some depression issues that were never diagnosed. and Which isn't unheard of by any stretch of the imagination. No, no. and it's, but it's really hard to pinpoint those because we see those more in some of the older people when depression was never talked about and when nobody dialogued with somebody about why are you why are you so down? Why are you saying things like this? But there's a possibility that we see it on my husband's side of the family. That's why we do what we do. And I'm sure that's why you do what you do. And you speak to people and try and open up these conversations because, you know, they're not, they're not the typical conversation to have. And people are maybe awkward with them or uncomfortable with them, but you know, like it or not, they 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 are conversations that that need to be talked about. Well, and if I you're right, you're right, Tim. And if I had to do it over again, because some of my other friends talked to their kids about suicide, I would have sat my kids down when they were younger and had a dialogue about it. One of the things I've learned that talking about it doesn't encourage it. That we need to have these dialogues. We're afraid to talk about it because we think that we're going to put the idea in our children's head. Well, I'm sorry. If the idea is there, it's already there. Talking about it doesn't put it in someone's head. But if I had dialogued about it with my children, I might have given them tools or even just say, if if you're feeling this way, come talk to me. We'll we'll go get help. Or this isn't this isn't the right choice. Let's let's figure this out. But it, it it just it never occurred to me to do that. It never occurred to my husband to do that. Sure, and I didn't I didn't make that comment to. Oh to no, make I you, know Tim. Okay. okay, I'm just saying that now, you know. Yes, I, I. And then I'm not blaming myself, but I do think yeah. dialoguing at a young age, it should be part of curriculums. It should that's, be. That's what I was just going to say, and that's why I feel that way because 
you know, and you're, it, we, we've talked with many people about this and a lot, there's, there's actually surprisingly a lot that were, there was never any signs, you know, we always hear of what to look for and what to, and you know, there was none of that. There was close family units and you just, you just don't know. So I think that's why, yeah, to put it in the, in the school systems and, you know, just not force it down people's throat, but just understand that, you know, this is something that needs to be talked about and, and, and death in general, it's something that we're all going to experience you know, yeah. I think just talking about death itself and, and grief and the things that follow are things that we can talk about. In New York State curriculum, we have to do bike safety. So why don't we talk about suicide <laughs> awareness? Yes, I agree. I, I, I made a mention of it in my book. It has gotten it has gotten slightly better. You do have yeah. way better, more in tune, more in tune staff now than you used to have for sure. But we use, you hit upon an interesting thing about the idea that it doesn't put it in someone's head. And actually what I've come to learn over the years of doing the suicide prevention stuff that I've done with AFSP and stuff is that actually by asking it, it actually may actually cause a shock to the system for somebody to actually bring them back out of something too, because most people do not ask that question. Most people do not think to ask, are you thinking about hurting yourself? And I think there is some reasons for that. I do think a lot of people, A, don't know what to do and B, don't want to get involved. Do you think that that could be part of it also? It might be, Will. And I I think too, if we ask that question, then we have to make the choice to do something. And it's hard to do something when we don't know what to do because let's face it, Mental illness and suicide are not black and white issues. It's not like you have cancer and you can go get chemo or radiation. So talking about it makes people really uncomfortable. Death makes people uncomfortable. The fact that a young person or even an older person, you know, suicide rates are pretty high among among middle-aged men and, and too. And, yeah, the highest is middle-aged men, actually. Okay. Middle-aged white. Yeah, the highest right now still is middle-aged white men, which is surprising. But I think that has to do with that. There's probably more reported in that than there is because it's the so cultural, too. the cultural yeah. divide. I think we also, you know, I know some people with that are involved with suicide prevention think say that amongst teens and in their twenties that a lot could be suicides that go reported as opiate deaths or something like that or a car accident or whatever because sure, again, absolutely. That stigma absolutely right it's all about stigma but you're right um the the if we we need to ask we need to get into that place that's really uncomfortable and we need to dialogue about it and i think there's still some people out there think well if i never talk about it then it won't happen and well, as we've learned, ignorance to not talk about it. Well, Look ignorance is us. not bliss. Yeah, ignorance is not bliss at all. I know uh, it's it's bliss for the person that's not talking about it, but not for anybody else. And the reality is, it's not really bliss for the person not talking about it because eventually they're going to have to face something. Right. Eventually, you're going to have to face it at one point or another, regardless yeah. of whether you're ready to or not. It's just that that's the inevitable part of this, and that's the individual journey that we're all on and that's what we have to understand <laughs> it's the Dude. credit card it's the credit card bill that's always going to come you know what i mean it's yeah yeah we we don't want these things to happen but 
if they do and or maybe when they do because there's always going to be stress there's always going to be hurdles and obstacles in life so if we don't talk about them and then someone gets to a hurdle they don't they don't know how to get over it because we never talked about it you know what i mean how do we yeah. expect somebody to do that it's like yeah. here judy judy here's a saxophone you never played before but you know what here's three keys there you go there you go go play it it's just like that it, it's not realistic you know, we need to, you know, these may not happen, but here, this is what, what's going to happen if they do. And this can happen. This, and these are tools to help you over that hurdle. And I'm a firm believer, especially now and, and, and dialoguing and talking about things to avoid a future problem that maybe will never happen, but what if it does and you didn't talk about it and you thought, oh gosh, I remember, I wish I had said something. So you're right. The credit card bill eventually comes. Yeah. And even in my book, I said, I say that, you know, there are Jensen's in the world who don't show any signs, but we still need to talk about it and, and, and not think that everything's fine just because somebody's not showing a sign or give our young people tools, tools to, to deal with. Absolutely. Yeah. We, 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 we talk about, we're all about tools. Cause I think that's, ultimately that's what that's what we have to do you know it, it's all we have is tools whether it's a positive distraction that's a tool you know if you get lost in anime and writing that's a tool you know it it prolongs that moment for for an hour or two you know and then you realize oh i made it to the next day these are all yeah. tools but you know i think a lot of it too is especially with suicidal ideation which is something we don't really discuss in general but on top of that, we don't discuss the active and passive thoughts. You know, some people, if some people think about it in a very passive way, and then they themselves judge their own thoughts, which are, it's going to be anchors. You know, you're walking around going, geez, I, why did I say that? Why did I, I I'm bad because I had these bad thoughts and we're not taught that, you know what? It's, it's not bad. It's not bad or good. It just is. These are thoughts. You know, and here's what we can do with thoughts. And just because you think something, it doesn't make it concrete. So along that whole critical thinking line of things, you know, let's let's kind of lean that way. I spoke with someone the other day who said she thinks that for the rest of her life, even though she doesn't have a plan and even though she doesn't intend to do it, but the suicide will always be in the back of her mind. And I. I yes, I can. Her. I can say that for. I can say that my my own experience. It's always there. And and I'm I'm glad she shared that with me because I I want to know those things. I don't want to pretend those things don't exist. And that doesn't mean, like she said, that she's gonna gonna act upon it. But and it's not a bad thing. I think I think that's where we we really need to change. It's what you said, Tim. We need to change our our way of thinking that just because suicide is in our mind, we're not a bad person. It's not a bad thing. It's not, we're, we're all broken in some way. We're all dealing with issues in some way. And we need to stop thinking that suicide is, is just a horrible thing to dialogue with somebody about, or that someone's just a horrible person because it's in their mind. Because the reality is when I was younger, even though I wasn't depressed, were times when life was really hard and I thought I just want to die and and how is that any different than someone who's thinking about suicide in reality agree agree I mean if you have a you know you get on stage with a microphone and you know you're getting you're getting some static and you know, all of a sudden the cord's bad and your microphone's not, not working so does that mean the microphone is bad or you're bad no it's just 
you know what I mean? Things happen. There's just things that happen. And, you know, we have to understand that there there's things that happen that we have no control over. You know, it doesn't, it's not, as you say, black and white. It's not the end of it. We make so many things in life, black and white, so many things. And I think the reality, reality is that there are very few things in life that are totally black and white. I I would have to agree with that. I find that there's uh, very few things that there's actual truth of as well. You know, there's your truth, there's my truth. And, you know, I'm not going to argue. If, if, if you experienced your truth, who am I to argue with that? That was yours. And I'll just go, that's, that's an interesting, you know, perspective or whatever. But there's no reason to say, well, you're wrong. You know, that's false. No, because you experienced it. And that's, you know, that's with my book, too. I, I made it very clear at the beginning that it was my story. Yep. That if my husband or my daughter or my older son was writing a book, their story would be very different because we each experienced Jensen's suicide differently. We viewed it differently. We grieved differently. And th- th- that's what you were talking about, that it's, it, again, it's an individual thing. So my truth would be different than my husband's truth of Jensen's Correct. suicide. Actually, since you brought that up, if you don't mind me asking, a quick shout out to your husband and your two kids. Hugs to them. You know, I just wanted to acknowledge them. Thank but, you, um, I think it was your I think it was your oldest son was the one that was home right at the time was, and, yes and didn't yeah how is how is he doing well i i guard my children's privacy very greatly okay okay no 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 that's okay he he won't mind he you know he my children have grieved differently than i have and their grief journey is their grief journey and i've heard some moms say oh i get so annoyed with my children because they won't talk about their sibling who died and i i sometimes want to slap those moms because it's almost as if they've forgotten that their children lost a, a a child and and let's face it there's a lot more support for parents than there are for siblings who lose who's a sibling but my oldest is i think both my kids are doing well you know they all found my husband my daughter and my son found jensen i did not so they they have a different journey than i do and i think all things considered i am so proud of my son and my daughter for the choices they've made to, to, to deal with life and to heal and to even question their own mental health, wondering, as we all did, whether Jensen was depressed and we just didn't see anything. So I am, I am proud of the way they have dealt with life, but they deal differently than I do. They deal differently than my husband does. And they grieve differently too. One of the things I was so concerned about with and I asked my oldest first, I said, after I wrote the book, do you feel like I love Jensen more than I loved you or or your sister? And he said, well, first, mom, I thought you were putting Jensen on a pedestal. But then I realized as you wrote more, you weren't. And he said, and no, I don't I don't feel like you love Jensen any more than you love me or Kalina. And I that was a concern of mine. So. I'm, I'm glad that they don't. And I'm glad that neither of them thinks that I was, by the end of the book, putting Jensen on a pedestal because that was not my goal. When I when I got the book, it this is, I just have to ask because this, I, I left it in the book, but does for, for you, does chapter 21, uh, it never entered my mind. Does that, is there anything like, does that stand out for you for any reason? 
You know, that's an interesting chapter, Tim. Thank you for asking me about that because when I worked with my memoir coach, again, because <clears throat> my church background is an evangelical church background, but I also kind of knocked the evangelical church in my book a bit for the way they handled death and grieving. And the, it never entered my mind, the, the subtitle underneath it is Satan Evil. And I was concerned that people would wonder about where, where my mind was when I wrote it. But I, I realized that in, in my memoir coach, was, she said, you know, I read it a second time and she said, let's leave it in. I really like what you said and it, it makes sense. And it was more the idea that you know, there is good and bad in the world. And for me personally, I believe there is God, but I also believe there is evil. And, and it never entered my mind that evil would affect my children the way it does because I believe in God. And yet it does because, again, the world does not function the way it was ever intended to function. And, and our children have personal choices too, just like we do. We all have free will. We make choices. And I think one of the things we don't talk about sometimes are the lies that our minds tell us. And that's what I wanted to, to point out in that chapter too, was that there are lies out there. I'm, our minds tell us lies and we need to fight those lies. And we need to know how to fight those lies because go take your life. If your mind's telling you that, that's not the, the truth that's not the choice that should be made. So there's more than we can see. And I wish that personally, I had given talk again, talking about suicide, talking about the world that with my kids more that to giving them tools to fight those lies in their head, to not always listen to what their heads are telling them. Because what your head's telling you at 18 is what my head was telling me at 18, very different what my head's telling me at this age. So that is why I wrote that chapter and why I wanted to point out that I do think Jensen believed the lies. I, I do think Jensen chose to believe the lie rather than say, mom and dad, I, I don't know what's up, but this is what I'm thinking right now. So that's where I came from with that chapter. Well, it's, it's thank you for that first, but it's interesting because when I got the book and took it out of the wrapper, there was, I don't know if you saw that. I just did a quick, there was this pink plastic thing and it was almost like a bookmark and it was in chapter. It was, it, it opened to chapter oh, 21. Really? Yeah. So I was just like really weirded out. I was like, should I read this chapter first? And Oh, that's funny, Tim. Yeah. Well, I asked my, I asked my memoir coach, I said, am I going to sound like a wacko with this chapter? And she said, no, no, no. So, the way you wrote no. it. So it, it was fact, from my perspective again. Yes. No, I, there's a chapter in my book that I talk about brain gremlins and it's very similar to that. And that's a great term. I like that term, Tim. Thank you. And I have not ordered your book yet, but Becky spoke very highly of it. So I need to get that. On I'll, my I'll have to send you one. Big shout out to Becky too, for, uh, you know, yes. connecting us. Becky's great. Yes, yeah, she is. Thank you again for being here. This is, uh, you know, as we said before, these conversations are are priceless. You know, they could be somebody's um, hand in a time of need. And uh, these are conversations that just need to be had. So thank you for 
Well, Kevin, Will, I am more than willing for you to share my personal information. One of my, one of my, one of the things that brings me redemption is talking with moms, especially who have just lost a child to suicide. So you are always welcome to share my information. If a mom wants to reach out to me, I, I'm really willing to sit in the ashes and in their brokenness with them as they they grieve because I've been there and I remember it and it's a horrible place to be and sometimes it's really hard to find anyone that knows what it's like wow so we usually uh wrap up each episode with three questions so you know I I had a question set and I think we we kind of answered it um, so I'm just going to uh, go with my usual. Do you have a favorite or a least favorite word? A favorite or a least favorite word. I really don't like the word still very much, but I use it myself. So I must I must not hate it, but still sounds limiting to me at times, especially when we're talking about grief or even somebody's journey through life. Oh, gosh, are you still doing that? Or are you still there? Or... We use it, I think, in a negative way. I like still when it's used in a positive way rather than a negative way. I just love words, period. And I'm always looking to learn new words. So, oh, yes, my favorite word. I use it a lot. And it's in my book a lot. I love the word grace. That's, oh, there we go. That's right. Perfect. There it is, Will. There it is. <clears throat> that's why, I, look at your phone, Timmy. My mantra is, by grace, I rise. There we go. All right. Jeff Buckley talking. What is one thing that you would like people to know about your son that they may not know from reading your book? I don't remember if I shared this or not in my book. You know, after a while, it all blends together. But he was... The one teen in our, in our, I, we homeschooled, but we had a very active homeschool group. So I directed musicals and I directed the choir. And for 23 years, we had a really strong theater choral program. Whenever a new teen came into the group, Jensen was always the first one, the very first one to go up to that teen and welcome them into a, a rehearsal or a a meeting or even our Friday program, our co-op, more so than any other. He was the one that was right there saying hi. Sometimes he made people uncomfortable because they didn't want to be recognized, but he was the one, no matter what they look like, what how they acted, he he was the first one right there at the door when he saw someone new come in. Very nice. Thank you very much for sharing that. Thank you, Will. If there was something that you could do or that you would like to see done for mental health as a whole without any restraint, what would it be? I would love to have more counselors out there, Tim. I, I just, you know, I just had a mom ask me, text me yesterday and said, who are the count, who are your ther- your grief counselors after Jensen died? And one is no longer taking new patients because she's filled and the other retired. I would love to see as many mental health counselors out there are as there are medical doctors. I would love for people to say our mental health is as important as our physical health. So let's get people 
that others can go to to talk about their mental health. I, I, I was just, I was having something the other day. I still, when I need to, I still call one of my counselors or go see them. They're, they're willing to, to let me in, even the one that's retired because, and, and I'm doing well, I'm, I'm healthy, I think, in my mental health, but we need to talk to professionals occasionally. Those of us that, that don't need to go every week, but there just aren't enough counselors out there. Good counselors, good counselors. Yeah, there's not enough med- good medical doctors anymore either. And there's a shortage of all of it now. Shortage of all of it everywhere. Even with medical doctors? Yeah, too? yeah, that's what they're starting to find now. They're starting to find that a lot of people aren't going into the professions. Why? I think I think because we live in a post-COVID world, that's why. Okay. I mean, let's let's be honest. It's, it's uh, people's view of public health is very different than that's depending true. on depending on which side of the aisle you stand on. So I'll leave it at that. <clears throat> I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, take away the you know peer support either. And and like you said, Judy, you know you're you're welcome. You're always welcome to to sit with people and and help them out. I think. You know, um, people use the term life coach and these kind of mentors and things. I, I, I don't want to uh, write them off because I think that there's a valuable place for that in this. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And, I and a lot of them are very trained at what they do and they, they take, they take it very seriously. So there's, there's definitely places in there for, for us to bridge if we could figure out the education part of it, because we do have to remember there is some education involved in this. You can read all the self-help books you want, but you still do need to have some actual like real world experience because dealing with real life crisis in, in real time is a lot different than, than sitting with someone following, unfortunately. So so there's a different, and there's a different, you know, there's different ways to look at it, but we do need way more professionals, but there, cause there is a shortage. That's why I'm, that's why I've been doing this, what I'm doing now. I was able to switch careers because of COVID myself. So I'm, I'm doing, I'm working in direct in behavioral health, direct care now myself. So good learning. That's that's great. And I totally agree with you. I can sit with someone, but I, I always give them names of professionals for where I can't go or take them because I am not a professional and I would never presume to, to try to be with no education. So, but there are fewer and fewer to recommend to the, the women that I meet with. And that's, that's where I don't know to send people to. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, we're coming, we're all coming up against that now. And and no system is is foolproof or or that great when you really look at it. But there's way better ways to do things than we are now currently, for sure. Well, I would agree with you, and I, I think you know some that people now that we're dialoguing about mental health more and things like that too. More people are looking for help, and we need to really get on the stick and have more professionals out there. Or more training. Judy Miriam, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's been it's been a pleasure. Uh, I'm so sorry for your loss, but thank you for turning that loss into into a, into a great work of of honor to your son and tribute. Thank you, Will, and thank you, Tim. I I really so appreciate being here and being able to to talk about my journey and my book and grief. If it can bring hope and encouragement to anybody else, well said. 
Thank you very much. Thank you. Until next week, man. Get well. Be safe. Stay. Above. Thank you for giving us a listen. New episodes every Wednesday. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can share, rate, review, and even subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Other ways to support the show? Follow us on social media. Share the content. Share our episodes. You can also buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash above ground pod. For further concerns, show ideas, or just to say hi, you can email us at abovegroundpodcast at gmail. Once again, thank you for listening and supporting mental health. Keep the conversation going and stay above.